Shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hey, it's Ty Smith of the Spokane Chiefs. It's Adam Bocas. Hey, it's Joe Valeno from the Drummondville Voltageurs. Hey, it's Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hi, I'm Dominic Fox. I'm Jacob Bernard Docker of the Oak Hills Oilers. It's Joe O'Brien. Hi, it's Barrett Hayden of the Sioux Greyhounds. Brady Kachuk from the Boston University Terriers. Major Junior. In the 100th year of the Memorial Cup, the Ankeny Panthers T-Tall have won it for the first time. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. The Buffalo Sabres are proud to select Trollunda defenseman Rasmus Dahlin. And more. Oh, yes! Oh, my goodness. We're not going home yet, baby! This is the Pipeline Show. Here we go. Well, good weekend, and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I am Guy Flaming. Thanks for tuning into this uh, week's episode. If you are new to the show, then welcome to the Pipeline Show. If you're coming back for more and been a longtime listener to the Pipeline Show, I appreciate the ongoing support. Uh, we're going to start things off and the usual way with the question of the week. And uh, today I put the uh, question up on Twitter and uh, a fairly simple question. Again, what we've been doing already in uh, July is getting to know some of the leagues that uh, the Pipeline Show focuses in on, whether it's uh, in Canada or in, in the United States. Already had the uh, CJHL, the Canadian Junior Hockey League uh, commissioner, chairman rather, Kevin Abrams on the show. That was last week. This week, uh, you'll get to know the Western Hockey League. We'll tell you about that here shortly. Uh, and I have a interview scheduled with uh, Gilles Courteau of the uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League uh, coming up early this coming week. Outside of those three leagues, which league would you like to hear more about, uh, learn more about? Uh, and I will endeavor to uh, probably get whoever is uh, heading up that league uh, on the show. And uh, I did get a couple of Twitter replies already. Uh, one asking if I was uh, talking about uh, individual CJHL leagues rather than Kevin Abrams, who is the uh, commissioner of the CCHL. Uh, that's one of the 10 leagues in the CJHL. Uh, and uh, the the Twitter question is if I would do the individual leagues, and if so, the SJHL, Saskatchewan, would be uh, that person's obvious vote. Uh, Pat says he'd like to hear more about the NCHC in the uh, U.S. college system and that uh, Commissioner Josh Fenton is uh, always a good guess. I'm trying to remember. I think I've had Josh Fenton on the show once. would probably be three or four years ago. Uh, if not, then that's probably something that I could and uh, should uh, get around to setting up. So uh, that's the question of the day. Which uh, junior or college league uh, do you want to hear more about? And I'll try to set that up here uh, for the rest of July. I'm going to get through a – this is going to be a, a pretty quick opening segment a couple of news and note things to to pass on uh but big show so i want to get to the guest list and coming down the pipe here in just a couple of seconds a couple of news and notes in the whl mark lamb has been uh, named he has been the gm of the prince george cougars now also taking on the mantle of head coach and that was interesting because there was a lot of discussion here locally where i am in edmonton about him going to the nhl uh, returning to the NHL to be an assistant coach uh, with the Edmonton Oilers with uh, uh, Dave Tippett and a long relationship they've had together. Uh, Dave Tippett now the head coach of the Oilers. But that's not happening. Mark Lamb's sticking in the WHL 
with the Prince George Cougars. Uh, also of note, the U.S. Hockey USA, or USA Hockey rather, has named their uh, roster for the Holinka Gretzky Cup, which goes early August in uh, the Czech Republic. You can find that uh, roster. The website is teamusa.usahockey.com, and you can find it there. Uh, I think it's 22 players. Uh, quite honestly, not a lot of the names are jumping off the page at me, but again, that's what we were saying last year about the team that came to Edmonton, and we got to know a number of those players really well over the course of the year. So these guys might be a bit off the radar, uh, but uh, some of them played in the USHL last year. There's only two Canadian Hockey League guys, or at least guys who played in the CHL last season. Uh, one of those is Avery Hayes uh, from the Hamilton Bulldogs, and the other is uh, Ford Cross-Hannis, who played with the Portland Winterhawks. Uh, and lastly, wanted to pass on, didn't talk about it last week, but the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame induction class uh, for 2019 was announced, and uh, one of them it comes from a league that we do cover, and that would be head coach Jerry York, who's been at Boston College forever. He becomes the fifth NCAA coach to uh, be inducted into the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame. The others were uh, Herb Brooks, Bob Johnson, uh, John Mariucci, and Lou Lamorello. Uh, so he joins a pretty illustrious uh, group there. The rest of the 2019 uh, Hockey Hall of Fame induction class, uh, Guy Carboneau, Sergei Zubov, Vlaklov, Nedomansky, Jim Rutherford, and Haley Wickenizer. And that will be uh, in mid-November. Yeah, November 18th. Uh, in Toronto. So great news there for uh, Jerry York and for Boston College. And I'm really surprised when I read that list of uh, coaches, NCAA coaches who are in the Hockey Hall of Fame, I'm really surprised uh, Red Berenson isn't there. And I'm sure uh, Jack Parker will uh, eventually be part of that group as well. All right, let's get to uh, what's coming down the pipe today. Uh, again, in July, we're having the extensive, uh, the extended interviews with uh, somebody that oversees a league. And today I already mentioned it's the WHL. Ron Robinson will be my guest. He's been on the Pipeline show several times in the past. But uh, today we're, as I mentioned to him in the interview, we're going to have parts of it will be uh, fairly general because of the audience that's across North America. Some won't know the WHL uh, nearly as well as uh, other members of the audience. So some of the questions are fairly general, but we get into a lot of specifics uh, about the WHL and a lot of things that uh, open it up to questions from you, the audience, and was able to get a number of most of the questions that were submitted, uh, at least the subject matter of those questions, uh, are handled and, and come up during the course of the interview. So Ron Robinson, and that's like a 35-minute interview. That'll be a leading off the show. And the other guests today, uh, Jerry Johansson from the Sports Corporation. You know, it's one of those jobs everybody is like, I'd love to be a hockey GM or I'd love to be this or that. Uh, and um, an agent is always one that I get asked, how do you become an agent? Well, I put that question to Jerry and we talk about uh, the ins and outs of his job and, and what that's like and uh, how he became a hockey agent. So, We'll handle that as well later in this episode, but we will start things off with Ron Robinson in Ask the Commish. That's coming up next here on the Pipeline Show with Keith Flaming. I'm Trey Fitzwilanski of the Edmonton Oil Kings. At his own blue line now, Fitzwilanski cutting in right circle, dances around his man to his backhand, forehand, he scores! Oh my goodness, Trey Fitzwilanski! What a move, what a shot! What a goal. Oh, mama. And this is the Pipeline Show.
There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks, a lot, a whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. That's right. Now, say my name. With Guy Flaming. You're goddamn right. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, the, the big guest of the day about to join me. He's my uh, CHL insider, and he's also, uh, the, because he's the commissioner of the WHL, it's an in-the-dub segment. Keep up to date on everything happening around the Western Hockey League, dubnetwork.ca. Make that one of your visits every day. Uh, pleased to be joined once again by the commissioner of the Western Hockey League, Ron Robison. Welcome to the Pipeline Show, uh, Ron. Welcome back, and uh, how's things so far this summer? Well, thanks very much, first of all, Guy, for having me. Uh, it's going very well. It's a busy off season, but uh, it uh, the game never seems to stop these uh, these uh, this time of year for sure. Yeah, I joke that that really July is kind of the only down season. At least for me, it is because in in August the camps open up again, and of course to have things like the Lincoln Gretzky and the the uh, all the Hockey Canada events. But what's July like for the Western Hockey League? Well, it's very busy. Uh, I, I don't think there's really a month of the year that's not extremely busy. Uh, even though the game stopped, the uh, the uh, administrative side of the game is uh, very active, and we're into our plans for next season and uh, working away. And but everybody is trying to get a break at some point in time. And certainly, July is a little slower than uh, some of the other months. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, some of those things before we get to what's on your agenda this summer. Let's look back at this past season. In your perspective, uh, what were two or three of the highlights for the WHL over the last uh, 12 months? Well, there's no question uh, when you look at our championship series and Prince Albert Raiders winning their first uh, WHL championship since the mid-1980s, what a highlight for not only the Raider organization but the entire community. And I think from our standpoint, uh, back-to-back seasons with small market teams last year, the Swift Current Broncos, and this year with the Prince Albert Raiders, what a good news story that is. And it really helped solidify that franchise moving forward because, as you're well aware, in the smaller markets, there's challenges, and uh, and certainly in Prince Albert, we need a new facility, and uh, the timing couldn't have been better for their run uh, in the WHL playoffs and winning the championship. Anything specific about uh, small markets that, you know, because, as you mentioned, PA, Swift Current, the last two champions, and, and it hasn't been the, the major markets, uh, but that, is it just a cyclical thing? Is it just happens to be back-to-back years? It might happen twice in 10 years, but it, and this time it just happened to be back-to-back. Well, I think it speaks to a couple things. One, our model is really designed to um, make sure that uh, teams in small markets can compete with teams in large markets. And uh, and um, we've, I think, developed a very successful model that uh, we're very disciplined around and making sure all teams have equal access to the talent pool. But you have to give the Raider organization and the Bronco organization for that matter, last year, a lot of credit because uh, they built a very competitive hockey program, and uh, that takes time and patience, and and they were stuck with it and uh, got it done. So, um, but it does speak to the fact that 
I think it gives every team and and fans across the league the hope that uh, regardless of the size of the market, you can be competitive in this league. Uh, I noticed over the last year uh, a, a kind of a different feel uh, on uh, online, especially social media wise for for the Western Hockey League. I think that's a, a credit to some of the staff that you have uh, that you've brought in over the last couple of years and growing that uh, social media. Uh, environment or uh, the audience, social media-wise, uh, important for the league moving forward. Well, it's extremely important. Uh, not only social media, but all media outlets, and uh, you know, making sure that whether it's our radio broadcast group or whether it's our uh, local beat writers who follow our teams throughout the course of the season. Of course, the media industry, as you're well aware, has changed uh, dramatically, and we put an awful lot of emphasis on social media. And our communications group here does an outstanding job, and we're just continuing to find ways to deliver and information and uh, make sure that our content is uh, is out there, whether it's on our website, social media, or other uh, other platforms. Uh, Ron, on the show this month, uh, I'm kind of uh, speaking with uh, people like yourself from various leagues. Uh, last week, I had Kevin Abrams, the uh, chairman for the, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, all the Junior A teams. And, and because my audience is across North America, there'll be people that you're ta- that'll be hearing you right now who aren't necessarily familiar with the WHL. So some of these questions might be fairly general, uh, but maybe uh, know that going in that it's uh, for an audience that might not be uh, avid WHL followers. Um, What's your role as commissioner of the Western Hockey League? Well, it uh, overall, it's responsible for the operation of the Western Hockey League, and, and in particular, the WHL office. Uh, we have a significant uh, staff here who um, not only uh, oversee all of the games, but uh, handle the administration and the and the financial aspects of the league. So it's really, from a commissioner's perspective, it's really looking at the governance of the league, the, the clubs, working with the Board of Governors to ensure we have policies, regulations in place to, uh, that serve the players and the game well and, uh, and work with key constituents uh, that are out there, of course, uh, Hockey Canada and Canadian Hockey League and National Hockey League and so forth. So it's, um, yeah, it's, a, it's the beauty of the job, as I tell people every day, is that it's different every day. There's something, a new challenge, whether it's a, a hockey matter, a business-related matter, there's always something new uh, coming at us, And uh, but we really enjoy it because of the fact that there's um, we're working with young players who are getting an opportunity to move on to the next level. You have a couple of counterparts, uh, one for the OHL and the, and the, and the Q, and over top of that, there will be a, a CHL present. Well, maybe I'll get your thoughts on that in a second. But within the WHL, do you have ultimate authority to make rule changes, sweeping changes? Like if you wanted to change a rule, do you have the, the authority? Or how does that – there's a committee. Uh, how does the process work? Well, ultimately, the authority of um, governance within the league, whether it's rule changes or uh, regulation changes, is the decision made by the Board of Governors. The general managers and committees within the general managers and the the Board of Governors work on various matters, policy matters, uh, and they're brought forward to the Board of Governors. My responsibility is at the operating level and to ensure that the regulations are enforced and to make sure that uh, the clubs are complying with our standards and uh, rules and regulations throughout the course of the season. All right, so for example, you last year the league went from 72 games to 68 games. Is that something that is decided that you have veto power over or anything like that, or is it all voted on by the the league governors and, and you go from there? Well, the commissioner has some far-reaching authority, of which I, you know, if required, I would uh, would act on. But no, in this particular case, normally what we do is we try to build consensus through uh, in this in the, in the case of the schedule and looking at the uh, 
at what our plans were moving forward and move from the 72 games to 68 games, which, by the way, we think has been a real, um, um, very advantageous for the players and their development overall. And that's what it was really directed to do. Uh, was a committee of, um, of nine, uh, governors, uh, within the league. And that was a special committee that we put together because it was a, a rather significant discussion and uh, one one that we wanted to make sure uh, was brought forward with a with a strong recommendation from a committee. But we have standing committees, executive committee, finance committee, uh, um, uh, business development committee, for instance, on the business side. Then we have hockey operations side that would normally look after a lot of those recommendations coming forward. But in this in that particular case, uh, with a significant decision on behalf of the league, we uh, we established a special committee to uh, uh, to deal with that. Well, and, and just uh, specifically about the games, uh, the number of games, uh, as you mentioned, that you feel the league feels that it was a successful decision. Uh, I know it's only four games, so I, I think part of the reasoning behind it was to alleviate some of the travel time and, and all of those things, increase maybe practice time for, for teams. But it's only four games. In the long run, was there significant uh, difference in your opinion? Oh, real improvement, I believe, overall to the um, the player experience uh, that we want uh, for the players. Uh, um, we we look at it in a number of different ways. We look at our schedule, which is very divisional based. I think we have the best rivalry, rivalries, arguably, of any league in the game today. Um, that really helps us in a lot of ways because we're able to have competitive games within our divisions. And a lot of our scheduling philosophy is based on divisional play. So when you look at that combined with a reduced schedule, it really helps players combine their education and hockey while playing. Uh, many of our players, uh, 35% are high school age players, and consequently there's a, uh, important to make sure that they're um, not missing school and they're available uh, uh, to uh, have their studies and maintain their studies at a high standard. And, and uh, then, of course, as far as training and development is concerned, uh, there's more time for practices, more time for off-ice training. And so when you look at that, uh, uh, there was fewer or less uh, midweek games and more in the weekend games. It's more compacted schedule in that respect, but we felt that um, the offset of that would be less travel demands and more time for recovery during the course of the week. Was it a tough sell for some teams? It also meant two fewer home dates. Yeah, when you take away uh, two home games uh, with revenue attached to those games, it was a very difficult decision. And I think people in hockey, as you're well aware, Guy, that they look at it and they say, well, this is what we've always done. That's kind of the response you get. Our schedule's always been 72 games. Why change? Why change? Because that's going to affect uh, everything we do from historical stats to uh, to records, et cetera, et cetera. But I think when you look at it today, we have to challenge ourselves to make the best. Uh, our commitment to the players and to their families is to make the, the experience uh, developmentally the best we possibly can. And so consequently, uh, I think we landed in a very good spot. Ron Robinson, the WHL's uh, commissioner, uh, my guest here on the Pipeline Show in our uh, In the Dub segment, also our CHL Insider segment uh, today as well. Uh, a, a few questions. I put the feelers out to the audience, uh, my audience, uh, that uh, you were coming on the show and open it up to, uh, to questions from the audience. And I, I, you won't be surprised, the vast majority, there were two things. Uh, one of them wanted to know if there was a new TV deal, TV deal uh, in the works. This time last year when we chatted, you were hopeful that there would be something. Uh, it turned out what there was a regional package available in, in Saskatchewan. That was about it. Uh, where are things standing right now? 
Well, yeah, when you refer to our television broadcast partners, we do have a national partner in Rogers Sportsnet, and we are fortunate to have extensive coverage of CHL special events and some games during the course of the regular season and playoffs. I think our expectation was to continue our regional cable coverage, which we um, – uh, unfortunately, uh, lost a year or two years ago, and, and consequently, we have not been able to fill that void. And uh, that's a function of really the industry changes and in the platforms of delivery of content uh, in, the, in the hockey world. And so we're working hard to build our WHL live streaming system, uh, network, and and the numbers have increased significantly in those areas. And um, we are looking at new ways to deliver from a broadcast standpoint up against uh, up against a very challenging industry, as you're well aware. And and um, so we're looking at that. Uh, we need to find ways to make sure our championship series are broadcast. Uh, as I mentioned before, we've had great, great games during the course of the season, rivalry games, which we feel should be broadcast, special events, and so forth. So we are looking at that. And uh, But the challenge today is that the cable industry in Western Canada has changed dramatically, and we have to adapt to that too as well. So whether that's going to be a new-look streaming pro- product that we're building, or whether it's going to be a combination of cable and uh, streaming, uh, that's something we're working right now on the off-season on. Well, and you hit on the other big uh, topic for uh, fans who were sending in questions was the WHL Live package, and not just to make it cheaper, but to make it uh, maybe more av- accessible, maybe more available. I, I wonder, has the thought ever, Pete Labardius, uh, who's a good friend of the show, uh, threw this out there a couple of years ago about having perhaps a game of the week, a game where it was, you know, on a, not on a busy night, but on a Thursday where it was the only game in the WHL and, and making it free and available right on the WHL website, you know, not on TV, but maybe to introduce the audience to the, to the game and expose the WHL to a wider audience that way. Has that been thought of? Yes, uh, that's some of the things that we're working on in the off season. Uh, we're, we're very well aware of that. Uh, we are uh, attempting to do uh, deliver the the games to our fans in the most economical and and um, reasonable fashion as we possibly can. And we did that last year with our tiebreaker game in Kamloops, Kelowna uh, Kamloops game, which was had a huge audience. So we see some real. Uh, positives to that it's just that we have a series of partners that we've got to work with on that to to come to a to a landing place but we are going to make some adjustments clearly on our on our um, arrangements for next season and uh, hopefully that'll uh, build us a further larger audience and make it more available to all of our fans and cost more cost effective i know this time last year we were we were chatting about that as well and uh, there was a, a one-year deal left with uh, your current partner in that facility, but uh, the American Hockey League brought out a package which was, I think it was 70 bucks or something along those lines for the season. It was much cheaper than uh, than what we were able to get with WHL Live. Is there a, a financial improvement for fans? Well, we're working on that. Uh, we've, we've got um, partnerships with the Canadian Hockey League and and uh, with uh, suppliers uh, for another year still on that program, and so we will have some ability to make some adjustments. So we're going to do whatever we can. Uh, the American Hockey League is an entire different model, and uh, we're working towards something similar in the future to that. But um, we understand what the concerns are, and we're certainly trying to address them. I, I wonder if uh, if we'd ever see a day where. Listen, I want to watch uh, the Prince Albert Raiders play, but I also want to see the the Sioux Greyhounds or the uh, Quebec Rempart. Could there be one package instead of me having to buy one for each three league? That's a possibility. Uh, No question. Those are some of the things we're looking at. I think we're going to look at 
trying to open up the games rather than individual uh, uh, purchase for an individual game to make it open available on a on a game by or, sorry on a day by day basis and and so those kinds of things so you're not just restricted to one game so we are looking at ways in which we can open that up and make it more available and uh, less cost prohibitive for uh, for our fan base. Ron, let's t- turn our attention to the scholarship package for a second. And, and again, uh, I, I'm pretty well versed. We've talked about it a lot here on this show, but for some in the audience who might be listening to us uh, talk for the first time about the, the WHL scholarship package, uh, bare bones, uh, you get a year of scholarship uh, tuition and books uh, paid for every year that you play in the league. Uh, is there, and that's real general sense, there's probably more to it than that, correct? Yeah, and whether it's the Western Hockey League or the Canadian Hockey League, uh, we've been well known for, for many, many years or since our, um, in fact, we originated over 50 years ago as the leading supplier to the National Hockey League, and that's what most people know us about. But now the majority of our players, especially in the Western Hockey League, are uh, accessing their scholarship, and uh, and upon graduation they have the opportunity to access a uh, scholarship based on the number of years played, a year for each year of those years, which would which would be uh, translated into a full scholarship and uh, and a post-secondary institution of their choice. So upon graduation, if they played four seasons in the league, they'll have four years of uh, scholarship benefits to uh, to allocate to a scholarship in any uh, a school. And many of those players, of course, go on to play Canadian University Hockey, which is exceptional. But we're very proud of the fact this year we had over 400 players. It was our 25th year. Um, we've had over 6,000 players through this program. And uh, I think what people need to understand is in Canada, there is a, a not only a scholarship program, but a, a program equivalent to any scholarship in North America. And it's a, it's an outstanding program for young players. And that's quite, quite frankly, one of the reasons that uh, the combination of the hockey development experience that we offer for young players combined with our scholarship program that's so well established today is the reason that uh, young prospects are coming to our league. Is the WHL scholarship different? Uh, in many ways from the OHL and what the Q offers? Essentially, they're all the same as for the years played, uh, the player gets the benefit uh, from a scholarship package upon graduation. But there are some slight variances to them um, in the Ontario League and Quebec League versus our league. Our league is um, really designed to make sure that every player gets the same benefit regardless of of the – the location or whatever you're based uh your 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 funds are based on the uh uh institution that you are you know, province which you come for, from and uh so you can use that value of your scholarship for uh, uh post secondary purposes upon graduation from the league and does it matter if you're a first round pick uh, by the Edmonton Oil Kings or a 10th round pick of the Victoria Royals you get the same scholarship package or if you're a, a listed player by the Medicine Hat Tigers does it matter Exactly the same uh, benefit. Uh, all players receive the same benefit, and the flexibility of the scholarship program is also something that's really uh, uh, extremely attractive to families and to young players, and that uh, they can decide what institution they wish to attend. Any career-enhancing post-secondary, whether it's a college, university, trade school, is available. But of course, as I mentioned, the majority are are certainly looking at the opportunities to continue their hockey and play uh, at a high level in the Canadian university system. Now, the recruitment of players uh, when you're you're also you're competing against the other teams in the WHL from a from a team perspective, not you, but also against the the U.S. system, the college system in the states. So, to entice a player who might be committed to a college to come to play for a WHL team, is a team allowed to offer in excess of that scholarship package, or could they say uh, we'll give you guaranteed four years, even though you might only play two? Is a team allowed to do th- something like that? 
No, no, they're not. Uh, we have very clear regulations around the ability to offer a player, and uh, I think the um, one of the most attractive parts of our league is the fact that every player is treated the same, uh, whether you're again, as you mentioned, drafted in the first round or the or the sixth or seventh round. It makes no difference. The player is going to receive essentially the same package. So um, the um, general manager is uh, really restricted on what they can do. It really uh, comes down to the quality of the program you're offering. And, um, you know, I think when you look at our teams and the exceptional job they do from an environment that they offer the players, the coaching, the facilities, the quality of competition combined with our scholarship program, which is fully guaranteed, um, it's, um, it's just, it gives the parents a peace of mind that they're going to a very, very attractive program. All right. Now, if that is a no-no, if, if somebody was to do that, uh, what would the penalty be? Well, the, the penalties are significant if the, uh, if a team, uh, if that was to occur and, uh, we're fortunate that hasn't occurred and, um, you know, there, uh, but there would be significant, uh, penalties attached to that. And our teams are very, very respectful. I look at the, um, our large market teams, uh, our teams that are, are, um, I guess in a more advantageous situation. They've never taken advantage whatsoever of the situation, uh, that they might have an economic benefit over, or advantage over another team, and so it's uh, there's been great respect to the regulations and to the uh, and making sure that all teams have equal access to the town pool. Can we say that about the CHL import draft as well? It seems like at least the criticism has been there that it's a, a deal more with uh, whoever you can pay the most money to to get and commit to your program. How do you maintain or make sure that everything is above board when it comes to the CHL import draft? Well, we monitor that very closely. We um, we've had teams. Uh, all teams are required to sign statutory declarations, affidavits, uh, that there's significant consequences if they violate the import draft rules. There's a um, monitoring that takes place. The clubs themselves can file complaints at any time if they feel that there's a club that has not complied with the regulations. So we watch that very closely, uh, certainly within the Western Hockey League. I can't comment on the Ontario or Quebec League, but we certainly do in the West and uh, make sure that our teams are complying, with whether it's the import draft or any other um, uh, regulation as applies to the player access. Uh, that's something that we take uh, um, great uh, deal of attention, a place great deal of t- attention on, and uh, our clubs are well aware of that. But but if it's a WHL team that wants to get player X out of Sweden, and you that team approaches him to check to see if he'd be interested in coming over, and the, and the, that player's agent says, sure he'd come over, but this is what it's going to cost you, uh, and the WHL team says, no, we can't do that. But then the player ends up going to the OHL or the Q. Does that not raise some eyebrows? Well, if that does occur, uh, we haven't. Uh, that certainly hasn't. Uh, I think there's been rumors to that effect, but there's never been anything that could justify that occurring. And uh, uh, you know, our teams have not filed any complaints. This year's import draft just occurred, and uh, there has never been a complaint filed yet. So we're we're uh, not in a position really to uh, to. Uh, if that if that did occur, if that situation you're just describing did occur, then obviously we would uh, report that to the CHL, and there would be an investigation conducted on uh, the nature of that recruitment of that player. It would be a tough position to be uh, the the team that missed out on that guy because they need to be, for lack of a better word, tattling on an agent, and that guy's never going to give you a player down the road. So it it might uh, be detrimental in the long run to actually report it. Well, no, we don't believe that. We think that it would be important to, and we encourage our clubs to report it. And, uh, and, uh, you know, there has been from time to time reports, uh, but nothing could be substantiated. So it's, um, 
Yeah, it's just part of that process. Uh, we advise our clubs, we advise everyone within the system that these are our rules and regulations, and uh, if something of that nature would occur, um, we would certainly be in a position to investigate it. Big news this year for the Western Hockey League uh, with uh, the relocation of the Kootenai Ice to uh, another major uh, Canadian market in Winnipeg. And, uh, boy, they uh, have got off the ball uh, pretty hot uh, there, uh, making lots of news here in the last couple of months. No bigger news than uh, the commitment of Matthew Savoy, who had applied for exceptional status and I guess had been turned down for it uh, by Hockey Canada. That's, again, for those listening, it's not a WHL decision, right? That's a hockey kind of decision, right. but uh, we really uh, believe Matthew's a very, you know, outstanding young man, you know, saying a hockey player, and uh, he's going to really benefit by uh, by uh, entering our league. And we're very pleased he's chosen the Western Hockey League to continue his development as a young player. Now, as a 15 year old, the the basic rule of thumb is you get to play a max five games until your club team is done for the season, and and throughout the year you can play two or three while the team is short players uh, that are off the U17 or or the World Junior or something like that. It's been reported in this case that he could see uh, upwards of 35, 45, maybe even 50 games this year because the Winnipeg Ice are going to carry a, a short roster. Uh, is that your understanding? And if that is if that is the case and, and they just call him up on emergency, quote-unquote, uh, emergency recall basically all season, is that okay? Well, there's uh, certain provisions within a uh, variety of agreements, uh, Hockey Canada or Western Branch Agreement and so forth, in which we have the ability to play, or play 15-year-old players. You referred to some of them. Um, we had, uh, I'm not sure where those numbers came from, but they're way beyond what the normally player of that nature would play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have um, certainly, uh, there will be some opportunity, and we hope Matthew can play as many games as possible. That will be determined over the course of the season, and it will also be determined somewhat by where he plays. Uh, this year and um so we're um you know we're working through all that but uh he's um you know just uh we've had other players kirby dock being one of them picked third overall by the chicago blackhawks this year's nhl draft a fort saskatchewan product and he played saskatoon blades played up to 20 games or so and when he was in saskatoon so there's there's opportunity for these players to play and we hope to give uh, matthew as many games as we possibly can through the course of the season based on the regulations yeah kirby played 17 i believe but there wasn't an academy right in saskatoon's backyard where he could play and be there available on on short notice dylan gunther played eight games for the oil kings last year and he was playing in edmonton so that helped but in this case would that almost be uh i mean are you, do you have any concerns moving forward basically of whl teams starting to, to purchase academies nearby and, and loading them up with their star players and maybe circumventing this a little bit not that it's illegal uh, or anything it just seems to be like they're doing a good job of exploiting a loophole, put it that way. Well, there's uh, there's a number of our teams that have working relationships with academies, and, and um, you know, we partner with the sports school hockey league itself, and, and uh, yes, in Winnipeg, there are unique circumstances there because the ownership group is also involved with the Rink Academy, so it is mm-hmm. uh, very convenient, and, uh, and it is part of our discussion, certainly moving forward, as to how that's all going to be positioned. The, the academies generally have really evolved over the last little while, and uh, but that's not to say that other teams haven't got access to other programs that are there too as well. So it's um, it just happens to be uh, somewhat unique in that if Matthew does play in Winnipeg at the Rink Academy, uh, his ex- the, uh, the ability to access more games in Winnipeg with the ice will be certainly a uh, 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 certainly an opportunity that uh, presents itself uh, on a more regular basis. Let's put it that way. 
All right, uh, just a few more questions for you, Ron. I appreciate your time today. Uh, one of the questions that came in from a listener was about uh, updated roster pages on the WHL website, and it's something I've mentioned uh, over the last couple of years as well. Right now, if I go to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League's website, I can pull up a roster for a, a respective team, Halifax, whatever, and see every player that that team holds the rights to on their preseason uh, roster page. I go to the WHL's website, and I look at the Calgary Hitmen. Jet Wu isn't even listed. Uh, on their roster. In fact, it would be blank uh, for the uh, the 2019 preseason. Uh, why is that, and how can we fix that moving forward? Because would you agree that it would be advantageous for uh, the fans, at least, to to generate interest in, in being able to see the rights or the, the players uh, that each team holds the rights to? Well, I think it's a very good question. I'm glad you brought it to my attention. I'll certainly look into that. I think it's uh, it's important that we keep current rosters. Uh, I'm not quite sure why that would be the case, and uh, uh, but I will certainly look into it and uh, would suggest to you that uh, as long as there's ability to do that, that we would certainly have that information posted. All right. Um, how can the league increase uh, awareness uh, south of the border and uh, maybe increase the uh, recruitment of American players? You've, you've gone on record saying 22, play, 22 teams might be too many uh, for the WHL, and 20 was a comfortable number. Uh, I'd counter-argue and say there's enough players that just happen to be south of the border, and you got to woo them. Uh, to come north. How do you do that? Well, we work hard on that. Uh, we've had a camp over right now for the last 11 or 12 years in Anaheim, our U.S. Prospects Camp. We've got some new plans coming up for next season, which we'll be announcing shortly. Uh, we have a combine program, which goes into the U.S. We had a camp in Dallas last year. We're looking to expand that as well. So we have a number of ways in which we are um, delivering, I guess, uh, some experiences at camps in the in the, in the U.S. and also giving our scouts an opportunity to identify players. Uh, yeah, we agree that we think that there's an opportunity to get more uh, high-caliber U.S. players in our league, and uh, with our five U.S.-based teams, we think that's a, a real advantage in that respect. But um, we certainly value the U.S. player. Uh, our Canadian players are always going to be the mainstream. Uh, that uh, represents... Uh, you know, 90% of what we do, but uh, we have room with 22 teams to complement that with with some top U.S. players, just like we have import players. So we're looking to grow that number, and uh, and um, and we have some plans to do that in the next in the upcoming seasons. Uh, one of the things people will notice, well, immediately when they go to the WHL's uh, website, is a uh, giant green banner at the top called Class Action Lawsuit Information. Uh, what was the uh, motivation of, to put that on the website? Well, we're at an interesting time in the uh, in the class uh, action proceedings, uh, and this, of course, relates to our uh, <clears throat> players who are members of the class who need to be informed on the um, on the, uh, the the lawsuit against the the Canadian Hockey League and Western Hockey League in this respect. And it was just an information uh that uh is 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 important right now uh, to to make sure that all of our players are aware of because we're at an opt out period whereby there's a notification that's been sent to the players and we want to make sure they're fully informed on the nature of the lawsuit. So that's why we have posted it um, uh, prominently on our website. Is there any update on the, the whole legal proceedings at this point? No, we're um, for the case has been certified uh, for the Canadian teams. The U.S. teams are excluded, and we're just at that next stage um, uh, of um, determining when that trial date will be set uh, uh, for the matter. In the meantime, we've uh, had great success across the country 
gaining exemptions and acknowledgement of the fact that our players are amateur athletes. So we think it's rather, um, <clears throat> uh, we'll see what the exercise and how it plays out, but governments across the country have indicated that our players are amateur athletes and we are, uh, we're, uh, certainly think that's a, it gives us a very strong case moving forward. Does it all come down to paying players minimum wage or are there concessions, other, other things that can be changed? Could you increase the, the time a player can access the scholarship package to match, say, an entry-level contract, uh, so that when that's done, then they would have to till then to decide, rather than uh, what is it now, eighteen months, uh, something like that. Are, are there th- other things, or does it all come down to minimum wage? Well, first of all, I think when you look at our package uh, right now, the value of our package far exceeds uh, minimum wage, uh, um, and uh, with all of the uh, Equipment, travel, uh, various support that we provide the players unto itself. It's a very significant package. In addition, of course, we have the scholarship program and so forth. We think the scholarship program is working extremely well. Uh, 65% of our players that are graduating or accessing the scholarship. Our numbers continue to increase every year. So we think it's working extremely well. It was designed to really encourage players to get on with their education. And, uh, that's exactly what it seems to be doing. But we're always open to, to, uh, adjustments we need to make, make sure that the player experience is going to be as good as we possibly can make it. Uh, I think when you look at the investment that our clubs have made, not only in the education, but the quality of the, the hockey experience, uh, it is, uh, it is, uh, arguably the world's finest development league. And we're very proud of the fact that we, uh, we, um, have a great relationship with the players and the parent and their families. So, uh, we can continue to make improvements. That's what we're here to do for sure. Mentioned the CHL president uh, a little earlier. Um, David Branch said, said that uh, he's going to step down from doing the dual role. Uh, what's your feeling about that? Is it is it a good idea to have a fourth person that now would the CHL president answer to you guys or does he oversee all operations of the Canadian Hockey League? Yeah, the uh, new uh, full-time CHL president. I think it's important to... to uh, to emphasize the fact that it will be a full-time position, uh, this is extremely important from our standpoint because uh, really all three of us have uh, a full-time job in running each of our respective leagues, whether it's Dave Branch and running the Ontario Hockey League and Gilles in Quebec and, my, and myself in the West. Uh, so the new full-time president will report to the executive committee, which is Dave, Gilles, and myself, yeah. uh, three commissioners, and the board overall, uh, which is comprised of uh, three representatives from each of the three leagues. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward, uh, hopefully soon, to welcoming a new uh, a person to help uh, run the day-to-day oper- operations uh, of the uh, CHL. Now, has the uh, the process, the hiring process, uh, all right, like, are you doing interviews, Ron? Yeah, we're well underway on that. Uh, we started the Memorial Cup, and uh, uh, we're working our way through it, and uh, we have a search firm involved, and uh, we're hoping to... Um, that someone will be in place um, sometime before the start of the season. All right. Lastly, uh, the Memorial Cup this year back in the WHL, the Kelowna Rockets hosting uh, this year. What sort of things uh, can we expect over the course of the season leading up to that as the, the Western Hockey League will be back in the spotlight? Well, we're very excited, of course, uh, the city of Kelowna and Kelowna Rockets hosting this year's uh, 2020 Memorial Cup. Uh, uh, of course, if those of us that can remember back in 2004, it was a real memorable experience, and Kelowna is a world-class destination as far as tourists are concerned. So it'll be a, it'll be a great event. Uh, this year, I think it'll be another very highly competitive season. Uh, the Rockets have got a lot of work to do to uh, to get their roster to where they want it to do, but they made some real improvements. They had four players drafted in this year's NHL draft, so I think there's lots of excitement there. And 
And um, but I think it's going to be another very very competitive season. Uh, looking at the teams uh, that made some great runs in the playoffs last year, that are just a, maybe a year away from from being uh, that championship caliber team. I think you're going to see some uh, not only great races during the course of the regular season, but I think our championship playoffs are going to be outstanding as well. Looking forward to it, uh, Ron. As always, I really appreciate your time. I said we'd go about 25 minutes, and I kept you about 10 minutes longer than that. So <laughs> thank you very much. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much, Keith. Appreciate it. Bye-bye now. It's Ron Robison, the commissioner of the Western Hockey League. Uh, appreciate his time, and thanks to uh, Taylor Roca from the league for uh, setting that up for me. And uh, thanks to all of you who um, submitted questions, too. And again, I didn't. if I got 50 questions, I probably got to about 40 of them or at least the subject matter of them. There were a few that I didn't get a chance to get to. As you heard me say at the end there, I actually I told him, well, we'll probably go about uh, 20, 25 minutes. Hope you have that much time. And he said, yeah, should be no problem. Uh, but then we went almost 35. So I couldn't keep him as long as uh, it turned out that I could have. I probably had another 10 minutes worth of questions uh, to get to him. Some subjects I, I didn't get to with him that I'll have to uh, try to get another day. For the break, remind you to check out the store nextdoor.ca. They uh, cover all the CHL insider segments. Obviously, Ron Robinson would be a CHL insider. Employing people with disabilities in uh, Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, and uh, taking your broken hockey sticks and making some really cool products and, and items uh, for your fan cave or your sports bar if you own one. Or There's just so many things that you can do with them. If you're a fan, you can you can get like uh, cowbells and things like that, noisemakers, and you can take them to... Well, not every rink because they don't allow them in NHL buildings, but certainly saw in the playoffs with the Prince Albert Raiders, they had uh, cowbells in the crowd at their games. Well, you can get that at the store next door. Check out the thestorenextdoor.ca, go through their catalog, which is uh, online, and uh, really some really cool items, tables, chairs, uh, picture frames. If you have an idea, they'll try to customize something for you as well. And they get their broken sticks via donation so if you happen to be there you can take your sticks right to the uh, location there in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia as most of you are not various drop points uh, across the country you can uh, check out the website and they list a bunch of those here in Edmonton United Sport and Cycle is the the place to take your broken sticks to and they will ship them out there on your behalf all right coming up next in the uh, final segment of the show today one of the questions I always get asked is, uh, how do you get it to, to be a GM of a, of a hockey team? Or how do you get into scouting? How do you become a player agent? Well, to answer the question of a player agent, I've recruited a player agent to come on the show and uh, talk about exactly that. Uh, Jerry Johansson from the Sports Corporation represents several of the uh, biggest names in uh, hockey on the planet. You can hear from him on the Pipeline Show next. <laughs> And Doc will get back to it. Doc at his blue line. Comes to center. Ducks around Leeson. In over the line on the wing. Trying to go wide around. Pahal gets in front. Shoots and scores! Ah! Oh, let's go! Kirby Doc puts hand to the ear as if to listen for the boos from the crowd here at the Art Harris Center. But what a brilliant individual effort by Kirby Doc. And the Blades have opened the scoring in game two in Prince Albert's. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades, and this is the Pipeline Show. Betting to the middle, Mitchell 
grabs it, walks in on the backhand, shoots, and scores! These Spruce Grove Saints are excited to unveil their first ever hockey school. Taking place August 19th to 23rd right here at the Grant Fear Arena. Brought to you by Subway and Humpty's Restaurants of Spruce Grove. This one-week hockey school includes over 10 hours of on- and off-ice instruction from Saints coaching staff and current Saints players. Each camp participant will receive a camp jersey and a t-shirt to keep and have one on-ice and one off-ice session per day. Each day will have a specific focus to enhance the skating, shooting, and puck handling skills of each player. Both boys and girls of all levels of all experience are encouraged to come out and take part. To cap off the week, each group will have a Subway sub party with the Saints coaches up in the lounge. Visit www.sprucegrovesaints.ca to sign up for the Hockey School now. Click on the Hockey School tab on the right side of the page. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Who's scruffy look? We're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. And uh, something special we're going to do this week is to get to know uh, somebody that's uh, doing one of those jobs that a lot of people would love to have. And uh, that's being a player agent and what the ins and outs of that job are, how you get to be a player agent. Uh, and to do that, we're going to chat with uh, Jerry Johansson from the Sports Corporation. Uh, Jerry, welcome to The Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. Thanks for having me on. A uh, pleasure to get a chance to speak with you. And I know I, I'm guessing there are you know busy periods of uh, of your season, uh, your career, uh, you know, in, in a year on a, in a calendar year, and downtimes. But I'm thinking, you know, opposite of uh, the players, July is probably a pretty busy month for you. Would that be uh, safe to assume? Yeah, it's a little busy. If you see my voice is a little uh, might be cracked a bit. <laughs> I've lost it at times, so that's a bad sign. But uh, or a good sign. It means you're busy. But yeah, the summers actually are pretty busy for us. It's uh, you know at least in the winter our players are all scheduled. Yeah. So everybody's sort of on track, and uh, the summers you know everything from uh, you know the free agency to getting your contract signed to every camp in the world is going on. You know, hockey Canada, all those things. So you know, there's a lot. Uh, the summers are there's a lot of balls in the air. And right now you're uh, out on the West Coast, correct? Yeah, we're having a camp. We had a camp in Edmonton uh, last week, uh, and now we're here in Vancouver. So we have a, a small camp here. So just to bring our young guys in and get them under one roof and, you know, do a little training, sort of spend some time with them. So it's they're, they're, they're pretty productive. Well, people can go to uh, the, uh, the Sports Corporation's website. It's the sportscorporation.com. And uh, one of the buttons you can click on on the toolbar is the client list and uh, people can scroll up and down that, and it lists all the NHL guys. But you're not just representing NHL players. There's lots of of junior and college guys that uh, that you guys take care of too, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. We have a pipeline, just like you guys. So we <laughs> we have a. I mean, really, it's like you know we we're. I guess what happens with young players, if you're a good player, there's a lot going on. You know, it happens at a really young age. Uh, you know, anybody who's been through this with their son is you know as aware you know from the Bantam draft really is the, the big kicker so that's a pretty intense time and you're making decisions about your future whether you're going to go to college or go play junior so you know there's a lot on your plate and that's really what we're there for uh like I use the term family advisor is probably a more accurate term to describe what we do um you know so yeah but we're we're working with you know our we have a, a really solid group of old fours as for an example even a couple old fives that we have on board so you know, everything we do on a handshake basis for years until, you know, NHL contract time. But, yeah, there's a lot of work with our young players. Well, that was going to be one of my questions, too, is when the financials 
uh, aspect comes for the family. I mean, if I if I do have a kid, but uh, he's he's not a big hockey guy. But if I or if he was, and I wanted to start talking to to agents, when does that start costing me? So you, you it's not until they start turning pro. Yeah, it doesn't go. I mean, there's different models. I mean, I think other other groups do different things. But in in our case, yeah, we we don't charge our families anything. It's just a, it's just a fee for what they or what we negotiate when they earn. So mm-hmm. you know. Like I said, most of our players don't get to that level. Generally, uh, we we do have a, a, a solid group that seems to get there every year to the NHL. But uh, there's so many opportunities for young guys now. Like it's, there's really no downside. So, you know, whether you're you know playing at U of A or playing in Europe or you know, there's all all sorts of opportunities out there that don't include the NHL. And obviously, that's the big one. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a good time to be a hockey player. Well, a number of players are recognizable names. I mean, some of the best players on the planet uh, are clients of the sports corporation, guys like Carey Price and Braden Holpe. And, and, well, there's a rather extensive list. As I scroll up and down the page of, of players you represent, one of the things that jumps out at me is not just that they're good players, but they're good human beings as well. And I wonder if Colton Parekh was a, another perfect example. I mean, there's lots of guys on this list that are not just good players, but are recognized as being good human beings. Is that uh, almost a um, uh, one of the, the boxes you have to check off to be a client of uh, the sports corporation? Do you kind of zero in on those guys? You want to make sure that you have good players and good people? Well, I can tell you, I can say for sure we're really lucky. Our guys are unbelievable guys. Like, they really are, and their families are just solid. And, uh, you know, I, I think I think it's just been part of the nature of hockey. You know, it's hard to be a hockey player without being part of a family. You're driving to the rink, you know, someone's driving to the rink all the time and you're, you know, on the road a lot. And so I think it's sort of the nature of the business is it sort of, you know, brings out the best in guys. And, and I think we're just extra lucky with the character of guys that we have. So I'm not sure how come we ended up with all those good players like that and good characters, but I'm not going to question it too much. I'm just really happy. Oh, a great story this year with uh, Colt Breco winning the Stanley Cup for sure, and uh, one of the one of the nicest guys anybody could ever uh, come across. That's for sure. Uh, another aspect of uh, the, your client list: a lot of Europeans as well. And I, I wonder how is that a challenge for you because you're based over here, uh, but you have a lot of um, uh, partners that are uh, based over in Europe too. Correct? Yeah, actually, the European model works good for us because we have uh, our partners in Europe, uh, especially our Finnish partners. Uh, we have our young Swedish goalie here, actually. Uh, Jesper Wallstad, uh, he's a late O2, so he's uh, in Vancouver now with us. But we have uh, the groups, our partners in the country, so Sweden or Finland or Slovakia. You know, they're really you know communicating with the families and working with young players. We don't get involved so much until they turn pro. So it's a little bit of a different business model for us, but it's 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 also a very effective one. Well, interesting you, you bring him up, and I was going to get to things like the CHL import draft a little bit later, but since you, you brought up Jesper Wallstead, he's drafted by, I believe it was the Moose Jaw Warriors. Uh, that, that's correct, right? Moose Jaw drafted him? You're correct. Yeah, they're here. They're going to come in and meet him. We're going to actually sit down with Moose Jaw on Monday. So, I mean, he's not, he, he's a, he's a committed, he's got a, a great spot in Lulia in northern Sweden right. that he's committed to, but I think Moose Jaw certainly wants to sit down and talk about Moose Jaw, which is a great spot, and uh, sort of educate him to, what that opportunity might look like. So whether that's for this year or next year or, or whatever, we'll, we'll drill down on that on Monday. Well, we've always heard that the, the CHL import draft is less about drafting the best player available, but drafting the player that you've, uh, uh, that the, the team has gotten assurance from the, the agent or the player himself that he's willing to come over. So it's a little bit more of a, a, a recruitment almost than, a, than an actual draft. From your perspective, from the agent's perspective, 
what is how does the import draft work out? I mean, how many teams do you talk to uh, leading up to the import draft about will this guy be willing to come over and play for us? Yeah, there's you know it it just changes. It's 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 really hard to pin it down, frankly. Like you know, it just depends. That a lot of the Europeans have good spots to play. Like uh, the, especially the Finns and the Swedes are they you know they have pretty solid uh, development program over there. Uh, you find more Czechs and Slovaks want to come over, at least in my experience. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a little tricky, you know, if you, and, in, and now they've changed the rules so you can't trade picks and different things like that. So, you know, the, it, uh, you know, if you have a good player and also too, generally speaking, if we, if it's one of our guys, we prefer him to be in the West so we can keep an eye on him because mm-hmm. we know everybody in the West and, you know, it's a little easier for us to, to track them as opposed to Quebec. So yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of moving parts, but it is tricky because some of these like Jesper has a really great spot in, in, in Sweden. So he's interested in hearing about Moose Jaw, but it's really, you know, there's a lot of 50 50 moves at the, uh, nowadays at the, at the import draft time. And I would assume the player then comes to you and says, what's your opinion? What do you think I should do? Yeah, we talk about it. We're, I mean, really, like in anything we do with our guys, it's always up to them what they want to do, but we're there to educate them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, it depends on the team. It depends on the opportunity. It depends on what they're walking away from. So, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. And I think that, you know, for some players, it's a great move, you know, to come over here. And you, we've seen that over the years, you know, all the good imports that have, have done well here. So, you know, it's certainly well regarded in the hockey world in terms of coming over and playing the CHL or the Western League, you know. But, uh, but again, it's very player specific. Jerry, if, if uh, you know, as a media guy and I'm looking at a European player and I, maybe I want to book him as a guest on the show, I have no idea who to contact in terms of who's his agent. Um, do do the WHL GMs or the CHL GMs have sort of a a list of okay, this is this is a sports corporation guy, or do do they call you and say who who are your guys in Europe, or how does that work? Yeah, generally we'll we'll provide the teams with our list of players, and we try to give them you know accurate guidance. So this guy's for sure coming over, or like Jesper, you know, really good player. That that be the thing. You take a guy for sure that's coming, or you take a guy like Jesper who. You know, it's it's maybe fifty fifty, but but he's such a good player. If you were to get him, it really would impact your organization. So, you know, we just try to help the teams figure out their risks, their you know, figure out their risk tolerance, and and uh, try to give them an accurate least assessment of what their chances are. Jerry Johansson uh, from the Sports Corporation, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. We're gonna get to know uh, him a little bit and his background, how he got into. Uh, being an agent, maybe that's where we'll pivot to now. Jerry, uh, what is your background? Because I'm sure there isn't just one way to become a, a sports agent. So for you, how did it work? What was your path to be where you are? Yeah, well, I kind of stumbled into it. I, I basically, when I was done playing, I started coaching at a really young age. Uh, and then I, you know, sort of after a couple of years of coaching, I sort of became an assistant general manager for, for the Tri-City Americans uh, when they first moved down to the States from New Westminster. So I was recruiting players at that time. We were pretty aggressive. I was probably getting about one player for every 20 I recruited. So I was, uh, you know, but I was, it wasn't from lack of effort. And then uh, I ended up meeting a, um, a, a good friend of mine, Rich Winter, who, uh, you know, had a business, a really good business here in Edmonton uh, with mostly Czech and Slovaks. So we had Dominic Hasek and Peter Bondra and sort of like, at that time, the Czechs, the Czechoslovaks were coming over sort of in full force and Rich didn't really have any Canadian guys. So I just, uh, met with Rich and we started a, a, a partnership and yeah, I just sort of went from there. So my background really is hockey, hockey centric, uh, you know, and then you just basically become an expert in the, in the world of hockey recruiting and personalities and it's just a big network. So 
that's really the, the 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 route I took. Now, does everybody have to go to law school if they if they want to be an agent? No, not at all. Actually, yeah, I mean, there are lawyers in our business, and there's accountants in our business, but really, it's a it's 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 really a hockey business. It's about leverage. It's about networking. It's about understanding, you know, sort of the 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 needs and wants of teams and player evaluation and and you know setting expectations, all those types of things. So the legal work is pretty much done by the NHLPA set out in our collective bargaining agreement and uh we, we do some legal work but mostly around like uh you know endorsement deals right. things of that nature but it's a good background to have so good. if you're if you had a legal background it wouldn't hurt you yeah that's for sure when you're talking to uh to, to families and parents of uh you know a, a 14 or a 15 year old and they're they're just kind of kicking the tires on what they should do for the future what are the what are the most common questions that, that you get asked all the time well generally uh you know, what's funny, because when I first started, you know, we were, there was really no information. So we'd sit down and talk about, you know, about a team or about what, what we knew about their son or about what people were thinking about their son. And it was sort of like, wow, you, you have this information for us. Now the problem is, if there's a problem, is there's too much information out there. Hmm. You know, there's so much, you know, floating around. So generally what we're, I mean, every family is different, but we're there just to sort of focus everybody on the things that are important and try to you know eliminate the chatter and and all the other excess and allow people to enjoy the process because it can get a little stressful you know and so you know it's just it's just about having fun and you're being evaluated and everybody's got an opinion and everybody's connected to a team so you know there's a lot of there's a lot of opinions out there and so you know our job is we do our own evaluation every player has a track that they need to follow that's specific to them so basically, we just sort of help families get organized and focused, and and I think once you do, if you do that properly, sort of the rest of it takes care of itself. And every every player eventually is going to have to make a, a you know a career choice, major junior or or the college route. And I've always maintained that uh, neither is perfect for everybody. Uh, there are guys who play college that probably shouldn't have gone the college route. There are guys who play in the WHL who probably would have been better off going uh, to the NCAA. Uh, I'm sure you get asked that all the time, which is the best. Do you, do you, what do you tell people? Well, I would agree with you 100%. Yeah, there's, I mean, certainly both have real positive, you know, benefits depending on what, what your goals are. And the Western Hockey League obviously done an awesome job over the years of, of really tightening up on every aspect of their business model, especially the education part. So it's really hard to say no to the Western Hockey League if you're a good player because it's just the opportunity is, is right there right now. And, you know, it's it's just hard to beat. There's not a lot of downside, you know. And so generally our college players are guys that maybe miss the first wave a bit. You know, the Bantam draft, they're not, you know, at the front of that line like Colt Preco. Yep. And they, you know, they need a little more time and they get, they get you know, connected with a junior A team and then they sort of take that route, you know. But but not, not necessarily all the time. So, but that's one of the big things that we do with our families is talk about the two options you know, about what your goals are and uh, and sort of help them, you know, figure out which direction's best. Another player would be, uh, like Carson Soucy would be a, a, another example of a guy who uh, went the college route and has had success now with the, uh, I think he's still with the Minnesota Wild organization, isn't he? We're working on his deal right now. Yeah, <laughs> he, is. he just came out of an entry-level deal, and funny you mentioned him, but he's doing really well. He's played two years in pro and had four years in Duluth, which is a great program. And uh, I think Carson wouldn't change one thing if he had to do it over again. I think he did it exactly correct. All right. So what what's the biggest challenge for a player? I mean, have you ever had a a family that said no education is we need him to get, to have that education? You almost have to educate people on 
you know, the WHL scholarship that you mentioned, the University of Alberta, and, and going that route after uh, junior career is done, if they don't get a pro deal right out, out of the uh, the Western Hockey League or uh, out of the CHL, that there's there are other options. There's a lot of misconceptions out there on both sides of the border. Yeah, I mean, the the one thing about the Bantam draft is that really flushes out, you know, the, for the for the for the you know the top players. It, it certainly there's a, it's information overload. So I would say if your son's a you know one of the better players in in the Bantam draft, you have every piece of information you could possibly have. So you know they've changed the college rules a little bit, but the colleges use us to communicate with players as well because they're you know they have certain rules. So you know, to getting in touch with players is a little bit more difficult. We understand their business, what what opportunities they have. So, you know, we're really there to, to show people both sides of that coin. And uh, But it comes together pretty quick. It's just, it's just so, depends on the family. But, yeah, it's, you know, and, and, and then to be fair, the players usually make the decision. Moments that are pretty important. But uh, I'd say 99% of the time it's the player that ultimately decides. Well, and you used the, uh, we, we talked about Colton Pareko before, and you used the term family advisor. When you're representing him, you're a family advisor while he's, you know, playing in in Alaska at Fairbanks. But what what's the difference of how you handle a player like that? What you can and can't do compared to a guy like, say, uh, I don't know, Brent Seabrook when he was in the WHL. What could you do for Brent that you couldn't do for Colton, and vice versa? I would say on the surface, not much. It's pretty much it's almost identical. I mean, we could bring with with a junior player. We could, you know, if they, we get them sticks, or we could bring them into Edmonton and put them in a camp and different things, and basically. Uh, for your eligibility sake, generally what we do for our college players, we just have charge them, uh, you know, for things that we do, nominal fees for our services, just, you know, things like that. And so, but generally speaking, it's almost identical. You're allowed to have an advisor. You're allowed to do a lot of things, but you just need to pay for it. You can't get stuff, you know, a lot for free. So, um, but, but other than that, it's you know, on the surface, you wouldn't, you couldn't tell the difference. A lot of people would love to have your job, and, and everybody thinks it's uh, you know the, the greatest job in the world. I'm sure you have a lot of fun, but uh, it's I, I imagine there are difficult parts of your job too. What are the challenges that you face on a regular basis that that would be frustrating for and, and important for people to know who want to get into your business? Well, it's first of all, it's a pretty cool business. I will say that <laughs> I have no complaints. It's pretty fun. It keeps you young. I mean, your players just keep getting younger. I don't know how that works. Maybe I'm getting older, but <laughs> it's uh, it keeps you on your toes, and it's. And it changes, like you know, I've seen cycles over the years, probably over twenty-five years. You know, the the business changes from how players come into the business to how the NHL works to you know all those things. So, you know, it's it's it keeps you on your toes. Um, I just think, generally speaking, is expectation. I mean, what you have is really competitive people in a in a in a pretty high pressure business. You know, where you're being evaluated constantly, and I mean, at the end of the day, you know, people want to win, so it's that that's the fun part, but it's also the pressure part. You know, how do people, how do you deal with that stress? How do your clients deal with expectation? How people handle failure? Cause that's a big, big part of our success is dealing with failure, you know, cause you're not always, you don't win every game. And you know, the, the road, the journey to the national hockey league isn't smooth. It's bumpy. You know what I mean? There's setbacks and there's all kinds of things. So I think that's one reason why our most successful players are of such high character because it does require, you know, you to be tough and to be able to handle stuff and, you know, to have a support group around you, your family that, that, that understands that it's not a, you just don't fly up to the top. It's, it's a grind. Even if it looks like success on paper, it's still a grind, you know, it's fulfilling, but it's also, you know, those are, those are some difficult times for players when they're struggling. 
And, and as you mentioned, not every player that you represent ends up in the NHL, and you you got to be finding places for guys to, to play uh, professionally in Europe or in the in the ECHL or the American Hockey League. Uh, when when a guy comes out of junior and maybe doesn't have that that pro contract awaiting, and or maybe has an option to go play in the ECHL or to use his scholastic package uh, from the WHL or, or whichever CHL league, is is that a, a tough choice sometimes for players because they don't want to they don't want to give up their dream, but Maybe sometimes thinking that you're going to go play U sport, it feels like you're doing that. But there, the number of players coming out of the U of A, for example, uh, is starting to increase. It's not necessarily the end of your your playing career. Well, not at all. I'm glad you mentioned that because we, I'm a big, we push our guys hard to uh, Canadian colleges after junior, really hard. It's like we're we, you know, it's just it's such a good option. They've earned their scholarship, and you know, it's they, they can get something out of their hockey, and so. You know, to to not do it is you have it, we're, we're we're pretty tough on them. We we sort of I'm not gonna say we make our guys go, but we really really push them if they're not uh, ready for pro. And uh, you know, so but I do think the system sort of I mean you know the path along the road sort of defines your next step. So by the time you get there, you sort of know you're not going to get a contract. You know, through the draft, different drafts and different situations. I mean, you're certainly if you're in the Western League, you're getting evaluated every night there's scouts at every single game so you know the process itself sort of you know helps define your next step you know so it doesn't really it doesn't sneak up on you let's put it that way so but but yeah the college the, the playing college hockey is such a great opportunity for these guys we we're, we're big fans of it well and i've always said you know the echl isn't going anywhere it'll be there for you if you know you're done playing your four or five years of, of youth sport uh and want to go that route afterwards but why would you pass on that uh, academic scholarship package uh, from the Canadian Hockey League uh, but I met is that can that be a tough sell to to players at times uh not really I mean I, I mean it, 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 it it's again it's up to them what they want to do but you know and some of our guys just aren't built for school so they're just not going to go to school I understand that too right now you know school isn't for everybody you know so you know but but we sort of know who those guys are and uh, like you say they, there's lots of places to play we got guys in Denmark and France and there's all kind Italy there's all kinds of places to play and you're certainly just as uh qualified after you come out of U of A to do that as you are you know at 21 so you know either one works and like I said for some guys school just isn't an option you know totally respect that so in that case we sort of get them along the path of pro hockey somewhere uh but but we do encourage the the college route since you've already earned it and it's a you know and it's highly competitive too so it's not like you're getting you're becoming a worse hockey player by playing a U of A by any means. Jerry, I, I wonder, do you have an opinion on the the CHL lawsuit uh, that or the lawsuit against the CHL uh, about um, being paid minimum wage and everything around that? Do you have a, a sense on where that's headed and and uh, what you would like to see as an outcome? Yeah, I mean, I have been part of the CHL for my whole life, basically, so I I do have a pretty strong opinion. I, I'm just a big fan of the way that the league has has uh, continued to evolve. You know, and I think it's a really great program for kids. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think, like anything, there's always things you can improve, but I find that the teams are, and the league is very open to suggestions on what they can do better and what they should do. And I think they've just made huge strides. So I'm not a big fan of, of that process. I understand it. Um, you know, personally, I think the, you know, the, the league, the opportunity for kids is pretty, is pretty cool. And uh, I sort of like it the way it is. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Very good. Jerry, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, best of luck the rest of the summer uh, getting uh, more contracts for your guys. I know it's a never-ending 
Uh, and uh, a lot of your players have been in the news, Sebastian Ajo, for sure, uh, making headlines here in the last uh, week or so. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. Anytime. That is uh, Jerry Johansson of the Sports Corporation. Uh, appreciate his time here in the off season, which really it would be the his busy season as uh, so many uh, items in the news over the last. I mean, just think of Sebastian Ajo and the whole offer sheet thing, which I know there's probably people who wanted me to talk about that uh, a bit, but it's not an NHL show, so sorry. But I hope you got your questions answered. If you were, uh, you know, one of those people who was always like, ah, "How do you become a player agent? That would be such an awesome job." and I'm sure it would be, and that's why I wanted to get Jerry on the show to uh, chat a little bit about what a player agent does and uh, get his take on some of the hot-button topics as well, like the class-action lawsuit against the CHL. I was Actually, I didn't know what his answer was going to be, and uh, uh, the fact that he thinks uh, it, it doesn't need to happen either. Uh, pretty interesting moving forward. That wraps up this week's episode. Next week on the Pipeline Show, you're going to hear a conversation that I have uh, scheduled with uh, Gilles Corteau, the a commissioner of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Lots to talk to him about. I have lots of questions. If you have questions, let me know on Twitter. At TPS underscore Guy is my Twitter account. I've already posted the notice that he's coming on the show and uh, looking for your feedback. It'll be another Ask the Commission uh, segment on the Pipeline Show. Plus, I asked uh, you which other league you would like to uh, learn more about, and I'll try to uh, I'll endeavor to get the, the leader of that league on the uh, the show as well. Uh, some uh, requests for the SJHL, the SIJHL, another junior A league in Canada that uh, has very few teams. Uh, could be interesting to learn more about that league, though. Uh, obviously, uh, requests for the USHL, the NAHL, a couple of different conferences in the NCAA. You you can let me know, though, and uh, I'll see what I can do. Also, before we go, I wanted to say thanks to everybody who signed up at patreon.com slash show. You can hear most of the interviews that you hear on the Pipeline Show are uh, available in an early access uh, bonus uh, for people who do sign up to be patrons. A couple of bucks a month is all it takes, and you can get all all the content on the Pipeline Show uh, before anybody else at patreon.com slash thepipelineshow. A couple more weeks to go here in uh, Season 14 of TPS, and then Season 15 will start in August. The first show in August looks like I'm going to be away for the, uh, the first week of August as our family's got a, a camping trip in southern Alberta planned. So the last show of season 14 will either be the weekend ending uh, of July 26-27 in there, uh, or the the long weekend, what is a long weekend here in Alberta at least, the weekend of August 2nd, 3rd. Uh, following that weekend, I'm going to be gone for a week. Um, so there might be a week with no pipeline show in August, but then when we come back, Hard and heavy with the uh, Holinka Gretzky Cup, the uh, Summer U20 Camp, and then uh, right around the corner, the uh, CJHL training camps open, the uh, training camps in the Canadian Hockey League and here in the WHL. Uh, So we'll get back to the hockey on the ice in August, but uh, a couple of weeks to go, two or three weeks to go still in Season 14. And we'll be back next week with Gilles Courteau and more. Until then. Keep sending me your questions for the commissioner and uh, anything else you might want to hear on the Pipeline Show through July. Once again, my name is Keith Flaming. Thanks, everybody. See ya.